Good morning and welcome to Canyon Hills Friends Church. I'm very excited that you're all here joining us. If you could take a moment to find your notes outline and also pass the basket of pens that's on the end of each of your aisles down your row, that would be fantastic. Also, if you would open up your Bibles or turn on your iPads, your iPhones, or your Kindles, or whatever device that you use, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 today. It will be our key text that we'll get to in just a moment. But before we get there, I must congratulate all of you. You see, you made it through another year. And for those of you who don't know me, if you're here for the very first time this year, I'd like to say welcome. We're excited that you're here. My name is Matt Dietz, and I'm the high school director here, and very excited to be with you. And if you're a regular attender, well, then I'm sorry you have to hear me two weeks in a row. But I want to congratulate you as we do start this morning. You successfully made it through another year. Woo! Right? It may have been rough. It may have been tough. But you know what? You beat it. You're here this morning, and that's a testimony to God working in your life. You see, a new year is here, and it's a year that's full of endless opportunities and endless possibilities. Get this, 12 months, 52 weeks, 365 days, 8,760 hours, 525,600 minutes, 31,536,000 seconds. What are you going to do with all this time? There is so much time that's laid out before us in this new year, and it's up to us of how we spend it. It's like, what do we do with it? There's so much of it. As we said last week, this is generally the time of year that most people make resolutions. They come together and they say, these are the things I want to do to make my life better. And kind of thinking upon this, I wanted to go a little bit deeper with this this morning, as most of us have made resolutions for this year. But I wanted to start off by figuring out what exactly is a resolution. So I looked it up in Webster's Dictionary, and Webster defines resolution as the following. A course of action decided upon or a fixed purpose. You see, each of us resolve to do things differently in our lives, whether it be to lose weight, whether it be to eat less, Maybe to exercise more, go to church more, maybe to be a better person, maybe to dispense of some bad traits or habits in our lives and start to put on these new good godly habits. Each of us want to do different things to make our lives better. I've been at a conference this whole entire last week. After I preached last Sunday, I left from here and drove to San Diego with a couple of the youth called Summit. And it's an opportunity where 16 to 24-year-old students from high school and college and different youth pastors and pastors from friends churches all across the United States are able to come together and just praise God. And it was an amazing opportunity. But while I was there, I had the opportunity over the course of the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day to ask a few of them what their New Year's resolutions were going to be in preparation for the sermon. So I'd like to share a couple of them with you this morning that stood out the most to me. Here we go. The first one said, I resolve to stop feeding the office plant leftover coffee. I will use water instead. My New Year's resolution is to really start collecting Muppet and peanut stuff in a whole new way. Well, that's some serious collecting habits, right? As much as I hate government intervention, I resolve to try and get a law passed that requires every person on the face of this earth to use common sense at least once a day. I could deal with that one. As a theater major, I seldom have much time to eat real food, never mind eating with my family. So this year, I resolved to try real hard to stop eating McDonald's and Wendy's for two out of my three meals a day. And if that isn't possible, then I promise to at least clean the remaining bag carcasses from my car and hide the evidence better. Some of us can agree with that one. I wish to become the old crone that my body says that I am and stop trying to look like Barbie due to our culture. 
Ooh, that one, that one's deep, right? That one hits hard. I resolve to accept the changes occurring at work. I'll try to remember that the decision makers do in fact have a brain of their own and will use it if necessary. Finally, I will cheer for them when it works. And if it fails, I will laugh at them. I refuse, I commit to refuse to take responsibility for my decisions, to never take the blame, not stand by my promises, to ignore the needs of the poor. In short, my resolution is to become a politician this year. And the last one says, I resolve, I commit this year to be as wonderful as a person as my dog thinks that I am. We all feel that one once again. You see, a new year brings with it a sense of hope. It brings with it a sense of newness. And many of us, we take this time to make these resolutions and these commitments in our lives to live out a better life in this coming year. But we want to get rid of the old and put on the new, don't we? You see, the new year time, it's a lot like the molting process that a lobster goes through once it becomes an adult. And you see, what happens here is in order to grow, a lobster must break free from its old constrictive shell and grow into a new and a larger one. And it's a really ugly process. You see, they do this about 25 times the first five years of their life. And then they do it once a year after that. And it's this ugly, nasty, horrible process where under extreme pressure, the shell of the lobster cracks. And the lobster has to lay on its side and then flex its muscles and pull itself out of its old shell. And then once it's pulled of its old shell, it becomes vulnerable. It becomes exposed to the elements around it before it can grow a new hardened shell. And I like this because I think in a sense, a lot of us are like lobsters. We snap at people. No, I'm just kidding. You know, in a sense, we're all like lobsters. Our growth into Christ's likeness, it requires us to break free from our old, hard, protective shells and become vulnerable to what God wants to do in our life. To truly allow God to mold us and menace and take us to where he wants us to be within his life. And the new year is just as good as time as any to say, I resolve to be more like the lobster, to shed my old shell, to move past my old life, the stereotypes, the labels, the things that have held me back from truly being a child of God and become vulnerable to what God wants to do in my life this year. See, we all could learn a thing or two from the lobsters. In our scripture this morning, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's giving them some guidance on how to truly live a good Christian lifestyle. And if we're to take this and apply it to our lives, it's not only going to affect our physical lives, but it's also going to bring our spiritual lives into a deeper relationship with him once we understand what Paul is getting at. So if you join with me in our key text this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And it says the following. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You see, the first thing that we need to understand, as notated on your outline, is that we need to live this year wisely. Go ahead and fill that in. We are to live wisely in this new year. We are to live with wisdom. See, wisdom is a very interesting thing. We tend to find wisdom more often than not in some of the most strange places, don't we? I'm sure most of us have heard the phrase from the mouth of babes, right? For those of you who don't have it, it's wisdom that comes from the mouth of children. And I'd like to show you some children's wisdom this morning. Here we go. Patrick, age 10, says, never trust a dog to watch your food. (laughs) Michael, age 14, says, when your dad is mad at you and he asks, do I look stupid? Do not answer him. (laughs) Michael, also the wise man that he was, also says, never tell your mom that her diet is not working. 
Randy, age nine, says, stay away from prunes. One wonders how he gained that little tidbit of wisdom. Koyoko, age nine, says, never hold a dust buster and a cat at the same time. <laughs> Naomi, age 15, says, if you want a kitten, start by asking for a horse. Lauren, age nine, says, felt markers are not good to use as lipstick. Joel, age 10, says, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. And lastly, Aline, age eight, says, never try to baptize your cat. See, that's some of the most true heartfelt wisdom if I've ever heard it. But Paul writes that as we enter into this year, as we move through our life, we are to live wisely. And so I wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit more. So I went to the number one place for all of life's answers in 2014, the Facebook. And I posted in a status post and I asked the question, what is wisdom? And the one that actually stood out the most to me was as follows. It said, the ability to discern or judge what's true, what's right, or what's lasting. Now that's really powerful. Look at what it says, to the ability to discern or judge what's true, what's right, or what's lasting. And I like this because it aligns so much with what Paul teaches us. Paul says that if we are to live, we should live by what we know as truth. We must live by what we know as truth, but we are in a world that tells us that there is no truth. This world says that life is up to the individual and that what's true for one person isn't necessarily true for the next. This is called the theory of relativity or the relativism. And so I went to the next most popular source to find out what this is, Google, and I Googled what relativism means. And it means this, the concept that points of view have no absolute truth or validity, having only relative subjective value according to difference in perception and consideration. Now, I'll be honest, I must have read this like five or six times before I actually understood what it meant because it had a lot of big words in it. But the thing that stood out to me the most is that first line, it says the point of view that has no absolute truth. It says there is no absolute truth in this world. But you see, Paul says that only fools believe that there is no truth. Only fools believe in these kind of things in their lives. True wisdom is knowing that there are absolute truths in our world. And we know this because Jesus himself even says it in scripture. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He says, no one can come to the Father except through me. You see, that is an absolute truth. And if we are to live wisely in this new year, 2015, we need to start recognizing that there are truths about this world. And the most fundamental, the most important absolute truth that we can understand is that Jesus Christ, that God himself came down to this world to, be a, uh, to pay the penalty and the punishment for our sins. That is an absolute truth. If we are to live wisely in 2015, we need to realize what the writer of Proverbs says in chapter 9, verse 10. It says the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. You see, this fear isn't this trembling or this paralyzing feeling that we picture when we think about fear. Although it is good for us to fear the judgment of God. What the writer's alluding to here, he says, fear is respect. Fear is awe before the Lord. This idea of reverence for who he is. You see, we can't have knowledge and therefore wisdom until we recognize the most fundamental truths about this world. That this world is God's. That God created this world and all of us in it. But you see, fools say that there is no God and that we're only here by chance. 
Paul writes and he says, don't live your life as foolishness, but live it as someone who is wise. Live in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and follow after the teachings that he gives to you. And if we do that, we surely will start to live our lives wisely this year. But not only are we to live wisely, the second thing that Paul says that we need to do is we need to make the most of every opportunity. You see, we all have opportunities in our lives, and therefore we must make the most of all of them. Continuing on in our scripture in verse 16, Paul says, make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. See, we must make the most because our time is so very, very short, and we only have so many opportunities that are laid out before us. We talked about this a lot last week, but this morning I want to focus on a different portion of this. I want to talk about the value of time. See, it's important that we make the most of every opportunity and we recognize the value of time. Because you see, each of us values our time much differently. Whether it be one way or the other, we all have a different concept of it. But what does that look like? Well, let's break it down. How do you value a year? Ask a high school student who's failed a grade. How do you value, and the high school students laugh like, yeah, I know that one. Preach it, man. How do we value one month? Ask a mother whose baby came prematurely. How do you value a week? Ask the editors with a newspaper deadline. How do you value an hour? Ask someone who lies terminally ill in a hospital waiting for a loved one to arrive. How do we value a minute? Ask somebody who barely missed a train or a plane or some other important engagement that can't be rescheduled. How do we value a second? Ask an Olympic medalist or somebody who just missed an accident or somebody who's saying goodbye to a loved one for the very last time. You see, we all measure time differently based off of how we value it. And of course, we know that time is a human invention. And I'm sure that God doesn't use a wristwatch or look at a calendar. In 2 Peter, it says, for God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. You see, God deals with eternity, so therefore he's not constrained by our time limitations that we have placed upon it. But time is something that's very important for us. And as we start to think further about the value of time, we recognize the second point, which is that we live in a very limited time frame. And as we live in a limited time frame, the value of time starts to increase. You see, we begin with infancy, we move into our adolescence, we move into our adulthood, and then into our old age, our middle age, and then our old age, and what lies beyond that, right? We measure life as segments of time. But let me ask a question. What makes something valuable? Oftentimes, the answer is scarcity, how rare it is. You see, if an object is extremely rare, it gains value because there's less of it available. But if an object is in surplus, if there's a lot of it that's out there, it diminishes in value because anybody can get it. I think this is so important. We look at this as the results of time. You see, it helps us understand this idea of the age or the generation gap that we feel inside of this world. Young people feel that they have a lot of time, so they're not afraid to waste it or squander it away. They feel that I've got a surplus of time, so I can spend it however I want. But those who are older in age, they see that life is fleeting, that life is fading away. And so time becomes more valuable to them. And this is why six-year-olds look at those who are under 20 and they say, don't squander, don't waste your life away. And 20-year-olds respond back and say, you can't tell me what to do. I will live my life however I want because I have as much time as I want. I can do anything while I'm young. And six-year-olds are like, just you wait, right? But that's when we start to see the value of time take precedence. And the wider the age gap it is, the wider the generation gap exists because of the different values that we place on time. 
But the Bible talks a lot about the brevity of time. It talks a lot about this. It compares life to the weaver shuttle that goes back and forth rapidly. And compares life to the summer shadows that quickly fade away. It compares life to the grass that grows and then it withers and it dies and it is burned up. No wonder why the psalmist writes, who is man that you should be mindful of him? You know, studies portray the average lifespan now is about 76 years. And if you're under 30, you think you've got all the time in the world. But if you're close to that age, you do realize the importance and the value of time in your life. I ran across an interesting study as I was researching the sermon, and someone went to the trouble to research what people actually do with their time. They say, for 76 years, what will people do? And for most of us, if we live to 76 years, this is what they say our life will consist of. It says, you'll spend three solid years, 24 hours a day, acquiring an education in grade school, high school, and college. You'll spend seven years eating, 24 hours a day, some more, some less, obviously. You'll spend 14 years day and night working. Five years riding in an automobile or an airplane. You'll spend five years talking with each other. Once again, some more and some less. Spend one year sick or recovering from an illness. 24 years of your life will be devoted to sleeping. Three years reading books, magazines, or newspapers. And lastly, 12 years amusing yourself in front of a TV or going to the movies or being entertained. That's totals up to 76 years. And this is what they say most people will have accomplished within that 76 year lifespan. But as I started to look at this and I was really researching and diving into these numbers, something bothered me. What's missing from that list? Worship, church. Church is absent from the majority of the things that we do in our lives. And so I said, okay, I'm going to challenge myself. I want to find out in 76 years, how much time would I devote to worship? So I said, if I went to church from infancy through my adolescence, my adulthood, my old age, my middle age, all the way up until I'm 76 years old, worshiping God, being present in this place, how long would I spend in church? And you don't have to do the math because I'm going to tell you what it is. And it's a very shocking number. You know what it is? Five and a half months of your life. Now, let's say that we're super Christians. We're good Christians, and we went to children's ministry, that we went to junior high ministry with Matt Vargo. We went to the high school ministry or to the college and beyond, to the singles ministry, the young adults, and the mothers, and then the mops, and then to your C groups, and then small group discipleships, right? Where we've invested ourselves in more than once a week, and we double that number. What do we get? 11 months. 11 months being in church. And that means that you're in church every single week from infancy until you're 76 years old. 11 months. Yet we can spend five years riding in a car, but only 11 months in the church. We can spend 12 years amusing ourselves, being dulled to our senses in front of the TV, but only 11 months inside the church. You guys see a problem? There's something fundamentally wrong with our priorities in our lives and how we spend our time. And it's so important for us to understand this because when the Bible talks about the brevity, about how we value our time, this study shows us exactly where we place the emphasis on. Oh, I'd rather drive places. I'd rather work. I'd rather sleep. or I'd rather read books or watch TV than I would spend time in the presence of the Lord. But you know what? We would have none of those things if it weren't for God himself. But yet, what do we do with that? How do we thank him in return for this? You know, the Bible doesn't just teach us the value of time or the fact that we live in a limited time frame. It also tells us that life is uncertain. 
And it's so important that we understand the makeup of how we do spend our life because of the uncertainty of life. See, life is like a valuable commodity in a very precious, delicate vessel where it's here and it can break at any moment. We might lose all that we have. So all we have is this moment. We don't know what the future holds for us, but we have what's right in front of us right here, right now. And so therefore we must make the most of this moment that we are in, living solely dedicated to God and what he wants to do inside of our lives. The psalmist writes in Psalms 39, chapter four, or chapter 39, verse four, says, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You see, our time is short. Therefore, we must live with some urgency and take advantage of the opportunities that God lays before us. Paul is the perfect example of someone who did make the most of the opportunities. You see, Paul was willing to preach the drop of a hat. Wherever Paul went, if anybody was willing to listen, Paul would teach them. Paul was a church planter. He would plant churches and he'd stay there and he'd preach and he'd teach. And after he would leave, churches would flourish because of their continuation in the faith. And no matter what afflictions, what adversities, no matter what was going on inside of Paul's life, Paul was always concerned about the welfare of others. Now, this wasn't always how it was for Paul. See, Paul had a very troubled beginning to his life. But once he truly experienced Christ and he recognized the importance of his life and what Christ had done for him, he made sure that he would make the most of everything that God placed before him. And I think that we can learn a lot from this because we can expect God to give us the same kind of opportunities as he has to Paul the same kind of abilities to praise and serve God in all aspects of our life. See, we should be looking at every opportunity to not only better ourselves, but to serve God in a whole new way in this coming year. Paul says that we're supposed to make the most of our opportunities. There are only given so many years left here to serve God. Therefore, because life is uncertain, because we live in a limited time frame, we must not only make the most of our opportunities, but we must also seize every opportunity. And this is your next blank. We must seize. Now to seize, it means to grab a hold of. It's not just to notice, to see it there and say, hey, opportunity, that's great. I see you over there, but I'm not going to go. To seize means to go for it with vigor, with passion, with some animosity in your life that's just saying, I want to grab hold of this opportunity and make the most of it. To praise God in all that I do. At the conference, I had an opportunity to talk to a gentleman from Ohio. And we were talking about opportunities for service and the way that we can really feel God's presence in service and how to discern what God wanted us to do in certain situations. And as I was talking with him, he said that he believed that it's man who opened doors, but God who closed them. And so I asked him to elaborate upon this. And he said, sure. And he said, I think that throughout the course of your life, you travel down different paths. Certain opportunities or choices or decisions are made in front of you. And you say, oh, I want to do this based off of my own convictions, my own life. And you go this way. And as you're going down this way, if you're a good Christian, you pray and you say, God, if this is where you want me to be, then you continue to flourish me upon this path. But if you pray and you feel God's presence saying something else, then you know that God is the one that's closing that door. And maybe God's closing it through circumstances or situations in life, or maybe through the wise counsel of a brother and sister in Christ, maybe through the inner workings of the Holy Spirit in your life. No matter what it is, if you go in this opportunity and you strive for it, if God wants you to be there, he will grow it. But if God doesn't want you to be there, he will close it and redirect you somewhere else. I think this is important for us to know this and understand this because we need to be ready to serve God no matter what opportunities or what doors are placed open before us. We have to serve God in every opportunity that he gives us. 
We as a church, we should be embarking on a quest to capture the vision of God, of where God wants us to be. And as a church, and even as an individual, we should make commitments to ourselves right here, right now, the first Sunday of 2015, to go for any door that God places before us, to boldly walk through it, to be vulnerable, to enter into the unknown, which is so difficult to do. And say, God, I, I may be hesitant because going this way may mean that I have to serve. I may have to be humble. I may have to do things that I'm uncomfortable doing, but I'm still going to go for it. Question is, are you willing to be vulnerable, to break free from your old hardened shell and go to the things that God may be leading you to do? There's an old hymn that's written in the 1890s and it's titled, I Am Resolved. The third verse of this hymn says, I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith and do what he will, for he is the living way. See, we should follow the Savior Jesus Christ and make the most of every opportunity that he places in front of our life in this new year. But not only are we to live wisely to make the most of our opportunities, the third and final thing that we need to do is we need to live in God's will. We need to find out what God's will is for our life. And once again, we talked about this last week. But it's so important, this step, that we know what God's will is. Continuing in verse 17, he says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God's will for your life is. Know what God wants you to do, what his will for you is. Now, I can almost hear your thoughts just saying, Well, Matt, that sounds great. That sounds easy to say, but it's hard to do. How am I supposed to know what God wants me to do? How am I supposed to know what God's will in my life is? You know what? I have a simple answer for you, and I'm going to put it back to you in the form of a question. And it's, are you listening? Are you watching? Are you looking for the doors that God is opening in front of you? Are you looking for the opportunities that he's giving to you? Are you listening for his still small voice to speak to you, to guide you where you should go? Are you too distracted by the things around you? How many times do we go through life being so distracted by everything around us that we forget to look at what God wants to do in our lives? That we forget to say, God, I am your creation. God, this year I want to dedicate my life to you, but ooh, squirrel. <laughs> that we miss exactly what God's, God's standing right there saying, I want to give you blessings. I want to give you the praise, the glory, the honor. I want to build you up. I want to do amazing things through you, but you've got to look for me. You've got to listen for my voice but you're so distracted by the things of this world that you fail to hear it, that you fail to see it. There's a story about back when the telegraph was the fastest method of long-distance communication, a young man applied for a job as a Morse code operator. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the office address that was listed. And when he arrived, he entered a very large, busy office filled with noise and clatter, including the sound of the telegraph in the background. A sign on the receptionist counter instructed the applicants to fill out a form and then sit until they were summoned to enter into the office. So the young man fills out his form and he sits down with the seven under applicants on the waiting area. Then after a few minutes, the young man steps up, crosses through the room, opens the door to the inner office, goes inside and closes the door behind him. And all the other applicants, naturally, they perk up wondering what's going on, saying, oh, do we miss the summons? You know, kind of excited, but confused because they hadn't heard anything yet. But also, they assumed the young man who went into the office would be automatically disqualified for going in before he was summoned. So in a few minutes, the employer escorts the young man back out of the office, and all the other applicants are spying, saying, that's one less person to contend with. But the employer looks at all the applicants, and he says, gentlemen, I'd like to thank you very much for coming, but the job has just been filled. 
irate and overcome with anger and energy, the other applicants being grumbling to each other. And one of them speaks up and says, oh, wait a minute, I don't understand. He was the last one to come in. We never even got a chance to apply an interview for this job. This is unfair. To which the employer says, well, I'm sorry, but all the time that you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, come right in. The job is yours. This young man was the only one who heard it. None of you bothered to listen to it. Therefore, the job is his. See, we live in a world that's full of busyness, full of clutter and clatter and noise. And it's so easy for us to get distracted that we miss hearing that still, small voice of God. What about you? Are you tuned into the voice of God? Are you looking for the doors that God is opening before you? Or are you too afraid to enter through them? See, if we tune out all the clatter around us, we will hear the voice of God speak. See, God speaks through the study of the Bible. God speaks through sermons. God speaks through Sunday school lessons. God speaks through worship and praise. God speaks through the Holy Spirit that resides in us. God speaks in the time when we're quiet and we're alone and we're silent, sitting in the stillness by ourselves. You see, if you give God the opportunity, he will speak to you. But how often do we come to God and we pray and we pour out our heart, but we never give him the chance to speak back to us? You see, we're a culture that's so busy and it's all about us that we pray because of things that we want, but it's like a one-sided conversation with God where we never allow him to speak into our lives. Do you listen for the word of God in your life? A Native American and his friend were in downtown New York City and they were walking near Times Square in Manhattan. It was during the noon lunch hour and the streets were filled with people. Cars were honking their horns, taxi cabs were squealing around corners and sirens were wailing and the sounds of the city were almost deafening. Suddenly the Native American, he said, shh, I hear a cricket. And his friend says, what? You're crazy. There's no way that you can hear a cricket. You can't possibly hear a cricket in all this noise. To which his friend responds and he says, no, I'm sure of it. I hear a cricket. The friend juts back and says, that's crazy. There's no way that you could hear a cricket. And so he says, just bear with me. He listens for a moment and he turns and he walks across the street. He bends down, he pulls back some branches of a planter and there is a little cricket making noise. And his friend says, no way, that's impossible. Anybody could go to a planter and find a cricket. This is New York City, right? He says, well, you know what? There is a cricket here. And his friend, Utterly May, says, that's incredible. You must have superhuman ears. To which he responds and he says, no, my ears are no different than yours. You see, what makes my ears special, if you will, is because of what I'm listening for. It all depends upon what you're listening for. But that can't be, said the friend. I could never hear a cricket in this noise. The Native American responds and he says, yes, it's true. It all depends on what you're listening for. Here, watch this. He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out some loose chain. Change? Loose change. And he looks around and he says, watch this. And he very silently and discreetly drops the coins in the midst of all the noise. And they watch as every head in a 20-foot radius immediately turns and looks at the coins as they hit the ground. He says, see, it all depends upon what you're listening for. Your ears hear certain things if you're listening for them. If you've tuned into God, it doesn't matter what noises are around you this morning or this year, because you're definitely going to hear the word of God speak into your life. It's a new year. We must live wisely. We must make the most of every opportunity that God opens before us. And we must live in God's will by listening to his voice. But the question I leave you with this morning is this, are you willing 
to listen to what God has to say? Are you willing to go through that door, even if it's going to be awkward or embarrassing or difficult for you to go through? Are you willing to do whatever it is that God calls you to do this year? Because if you are, God is going to bless you in ways that you never thought would be possible. All you have to do is listen. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, God, we come before you and we do give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise in everything that we do, God. God, I pray that if we do make any commitments this year, God, that our number one commitment be to be silent. God, to listen better for your word. God, to have our eyes open to the opportunities that you do present before us. God, because each and every single day, you constantly are giving us new opportunities to serve you, to praise you, to bring you glory, to bring you honor in all that we do in our lives, God. God, I pray that you just open our eyes, that you open our hearts, God, that we can break free like the lobsters, God, to push through and push past our old destructive selves and grow into a new you, to grow into a deeper, better, closer relationship with you, God, where we can flourish and we can change this world because of your name. God, our heart's desire this year is to make a difference, is to change the world. But we can only do it if we can hear your voice. God, open our ears, open our eyes to hear you and to see you and to reach out and behold you in a whole new way this year. We love you, God. We give you this in your name. Amen.